Welcome to Glass Onion Minute. I'm your host, Dave Renly. Did, did I... Did, did, uh, was it not recording? Okay. Hello there. Hello. Hello. Onion Minute. I'm your host, Dave Renly. My guest is Brian Lynch, returning again for the third time. Hello. Pleasure to be here. Um, uh, pleasure to uh, be here. I don't know why I said that twice. I thought I would have something different the second time, I guess. And so... The pleasure start- is all mine. I started that sentence with confidence. The pleasure is all mine. Ah, this is minute number 63. Our minute starts at one minute. Well, no, it's our minute starts at one hour, two minutes, and finishes at one hour, two minutes, 59 seconds. The scene begins with Miles finishing asking Benoit if the death was done, quote, intention, are you? Well, we don't know. And ends with Benoit saying he'll stay with the body to make sure it's not tampered with. While Miles sees a glass on the shag carpet with a fruit of some sort in it. Yes, twist of lemon, I believe. Uh, actually, you know what? I've got the next episode pulled up here. Yes, it is. It's lemon. Of course, that's not the fruit that's important, but we won't talk about that until later. Uh, the thing that's important about that glass right now is uh, a different thing. But again, we won't talk about that until ne- uh, tomorrow. Yeah, in not visible case. in this one, is it? Yes, no. Uh, the, we, the dramatic zoom continues as we go on. So th- this minute is mostly about everyone still being... Mm-hmm. Something like, wait, what are you saying that this death that happened in the murder mystery movie might have been a murder? And, uh. But Mr. Cody's death was so acute and violent. Yes. My guess is something was put in his drink. Intentionally. I, I have I have issue with Benoit's assertion that Mr. Cody's death was so acute and violent that, yes, it must have been on purpose. Mm-hmm. Because. That doesn't necessarily follow, like, from what we'll actually learn, that doesn't follow that that it it would have to have been on purpose at all. The killer killed him in such a way that actually, yes, this easily could have been an accident. Yeah. Um, It's, it's, well, again, we, we keep dancing close to the realm of spoiling, but also, as I said back in, I almost said episode one, but episode 61, um, everybody who's watching this already knows, but we're, we're honoring the system. Um, but no, I will say that the, 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 the accidental murder, pretty decent cover, but also never would have said, like, it all would have been found out eventually. Right. Um, uh, granted, um, most of his other goals, but like, they, they would have been able to figure out this was murder. Or I'm what? sorry, murder. I mean, no, if, no, if he did oh. grab whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Well, well. I'm not sure about that, but mm-hmm. uh, so there's talking just, about that. I'm just, cut- just going to write this down when we get up to our little spoiler section, which is that's uh Friday, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about the, um, the thing. So we cut to an exterior night shot of the Island and a lighthouse. It's like a painting. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Then we go. It really is. I, I just, I love the lighthouse. That is a, a phenomenal visual in this movie. And then, you know, uh, later on when the lights go out and it's constantly sweeping around, they, they just do such great things with it. Um, and in that wide shot where you're like, oh, look at the the island. And then, shoof, oh, it's yeah. great. It's great. Exciting for us, you and me, mm-hmm. is that we get to go to a different location for a second here. Yeah, the little radio room that we talked about. What do you mean morning? How's that, what's, how's that possible? Pizza child. Don't just pizza shite. Pizza shite. Radio room. It's, I guess, 
it was through that thing. It, it's like within the glass onion, even though it seems like a totally different. Yeah, it's next building. next to the uh, next to the 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 Roy Lichtenstein print, which, by the way, would talk about a douchebag piece of art for somebody to have. <laughs> I've got the pop, the pop art. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The like comic. Style. Roy, Roy Lichtenstein is a guy who would read old comics, um, project the images from them on the wall, trace over what actual artists had done, and then sell it for ten million dollars. So you could see the dots and mm-hmm. like all that, right? Yeah. yeah. You'd be like, oh, look at me. I'm making commentary on comic art, which is low and mediocre, unlike my high art that I'm making. I'm Roy Lichtenstein. Ah! I imagine him as like a dandy fop. Um, <laughs> I assume he's probably not, but um, one, of oh. the, one of the dudes that he ripped off wrote a comic about getting ripped off by him, which is very good. He's like, yeah, this guy sold his uh, work for, um, uh, you know, uh, t- this, this painting was recently sold for $10 million. Um, I'm the one who actually drew it, and I have to crowdfund uh, for my cancer treatments. Um, and, I'm like, oh, I mean, and so when I see Miles Braun standing in front of that, I'm like, yep. Yeah, that all tracks. I there's a famous Calvin and Hobbes strip about high art and low <laughs> yes, art. Yes. And I so speaking of that, like I took that strip, made it into a transparency, projected mm-hmm. with an overhead projector onto four different canvases, and then painted, like traced and painted that and put mm-hmm. that strip up on the wall. The strip is about whether or not a painting of a comic strip is high or yeah. low art and like just all different kinds of comparisons yeah. like that. So it was <laughs> well, a what perfect a, what one a, to translate and steal like that. What about a cartoon of a painting of a comic strip panel? Yeah. Immature, jejun, predictable. Yeah. Um, low yeah. art. <laughs> low art. That's actually, that, 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 I, I think Bill Watterson would be disappointed if nobody had ever done that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think you're totally justified. <laughs> also, uh, if, if you made Calvin P on something, so much the better. Gross. <laughs> I hate Calvin P. <laughs> There's got to be a like a documentary's worth of like where did Calvin P come from? Like like I, how did how did that become a thing? I just saw a YouTube video about it. I think it came out a couple weeks ago. I haven't oh, watched nice. it. Yet. it. I'm so I'm like so mad at the whole phenomenon. I should watch it, but I'm I'm like I just like sometimes I have to get psyched up before I get mad at something. I know the the original is him filling up a water balloon. So somebody did find the original source art, um, mm-hmm. like the the strip that it was taken from. My favorite are the ones where it's like it's not Calvin. Like they were like I'd like a decal of a child peeing on something on my car, but I don't want to be disrespectful to the original artist. And so it's like right. just some generic little stinker wearing a backwards baseball cap. I, uh, I grew up with like peeing on Chevy or four. Mm-hmm. Great. Oh uh, uh, yeah. So speaking of art, <laughs> this, uh, I couldn't look it up and I didn't really care to, but while Lionel's in the radio room, there's a, a painting of an old woman with a green background mm-hmm. on the wall. But also, the frame for that painting is also hung up, but the painting isn't in the frame. Oh, hold on. I'm just, I'm going to it right now just that I can uh, see it. I feel Um, like the frame wasn't going to fit that painting, or maybe Miles doesn't know how to actually put a painting into a frame, or something. uh, A commentary on this, like, plan that almost came together. (laughs) I so when uh, when I went to London, I toured the National Portrait Gallery uh, and the National Gallery, which which both of which are just an absolute festival of walking around a, a real fancy old building and constantly going, "Oh, that's an actual painting." Uh, mm-hmm. I I've seen it in books ten thousand times. 
Um, but I, I remember thinking how much fun it would be to be um, a, a tour guide because what I would do is I would do the thing where I walk around and I give everybody the history of the painting and a little bit about the artist. And then I would end every single one of my spiels with the frame is probably also, also worth something. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know if I described this well to the audience. Mm -hmm. The, the, frame is also hung up on the wall. Yeah, it just doesn't have a painting in it. <laughs> the frame is hung on the wall, and the painting is hung on the corner of the frame. It's bizarre. I'm looking at it now. I don't know how I missed it when I was looking before. I was, I was distracted by Leslie's beautiful hat and beautiful face. Um, but um, yeah, it's weird. And also, this is a very utilitarian room. It's all like pipes and whatnot. Yeah, it's, it's like obviously not in the same... Spot. like but but also oh so you'll also see mm -hmm. on the wall there's like a uh like an osha or like some sort of safety thing for mm -hmm. employees which i think it this is actually commentary on the fact that like even though there's no one else there right now yeah really like like except for that roommate guy but <laughs> Darryl, there's yeah. no one else really else there but this place doesn't run by itself like like miles isn't cleaning it and there are people that need to actually work here yeah and do these things and the place they're in is not pretty they have to have all this stuff up. They're mm -hmm. like looking at one painting that's not even hung well. And it's kind of like, I think it's kind of commenting on the people behind these like billionaires that live these like really comfortable, like simple, like minimalist looking lives. But they have like a team of people just to keep their life going because they can't do anything themselves. Yeah, I think I think that's the point of this room is like the person who's radioing is like, unless it's like his special weekend would never be him mm -hmm. it would be like he would just tell someone to go do it and then they would he'd probably just say it in the room and they'd have to go hear it and go to the boring room you know or they'd already be in there hidden away that's probably where the like the mop is and stuff and all the like, how much windex do you think this glass onion goes through <laughs> oh yeah um the other thing I, I think is that that whether it's the framing or the fact that it's stuck in this little um thing is um uh it it is very symbolic of miles and his lack of respect for art. Um, yes. That, like, he's a guy who has art because art is a thing rich people have. Like, famously, like, do, do you know about the, the number 207? No. Um, so the, the, one of the most visible art pieces is that there's a, a Mark Rothko um, uh, painting, and it's, it's number 207. And well, now I'm just going to look it up to make sure I'm getting it right. Yeah, okay, I just looked up. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a standard Rothko. It's, it's a big block of color, and like the gradations are fascinating. And if you've ever seen one of those in person, like it's it's wild. Mm -hmm. um, but um, it's hanging upside down. Oh, okay, um, yeah, yeah. Because it's 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 a very dark blue background with like this red over it, and the red's like cloudy on the edges, and there's like parts spots where the background's showing through and stuff. And it very specifically occupies only the top two thirds of the frame. Mm -hmm. um and in the way miles hangs it it's the bottom two-thirds mm. uh and i believe, it, but he doesn't have a phone i believe the value is something in the realm of like 50 million dollars <laughs> um so now Lionel... yeah, like, like all these paintings are super actually then now this looks like a website where possibly i can just uh no i i scrolled down i was wondering if the um the the radio room lady would uh show up in there but no yeah i i i looked on one thing from glass onion and i also just googled old lady with green background painting and it didn't pop up mm -hmm. and i have adhd so that's as far as i got <laughs> but go. uh so we, we hear from lionel he's talking he can't believe that they're not gonna get there to the morning and it's because this doc is a, a piece of shit <laughs> um, piece, and dino tells piece, him piece of shit 
piece of shit. So it's like it, most docks have flotation built into them so that they can move up and down with the tide. This glass stupid dock with the stupid glass sculpture representation of Banksy's mm-hmm. painting yeah. um, is not going to be effective because there won't be a dock. I feel like they could still get there and just dock on the beach, but whatever. What do I know? I could bring a dinghy. Mm-hmm. Maybe Miles could buy it. I'm not sure. Um, but we wanted to talk about whether or not that dock was a Banksy. Yeah, that that doesn't. I I don't. I've never seen Banksy design an elegant glass floating dock. So I I was surprised when he came back. But actually, now that I think about it, I see. I should have rewatched the movie up to this point just so that I could be sure of these things. Lionel's the one that identifies it as Banksy in the first place, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he. I, I think it's just him getting it wrong twice. Um, because well, it's I, like it's like a mm-hmm. ripoff of Banksy. Yeah. Well, I don't well, know if you have you seen uh, Across the Spider Verse. No. Um, uh, so uh, very, uh, I suppose, a very minor spoiler for people that like going into movies knowing nothing. But um, in the first scene of the movie, the vulture is attacking the Guggenheim, um, and he um, uh, slices the top off of one of the Jeff Koons balloon dog sculptures. And it's full of smaller balloon dog sculptures <laughs> and it hits the ground. And there's just like one of like the background extras just goes, Oh, I think it's a Banksy. <laughs> and I think that's, I think, I think the joke is that's just something people say about art when they don't know what to say about art. True. It, it is also possible. I, I can't take credit for this. I found this in a Reddit thread. It is possible that Banksy would make this thing. As kind of a uh, like an <laughs> fu to to such a rich person to be like mm-hmm. oh but he because he would have been like I want you to make your thing I want it to be in glass and he's like that's the stupidest idea ever I'm gonna <laughs> screw up this rich person's like doc by making it just like he said in a way that like makes it completely non functional kind of like the 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 painting in the with the shredder in the frame mm-hmm. where where he, he kind <laughs> of does stuff like that mm-hmm. I. Personally, still really like Banksy. I know a lot of people get tired mm-hmm. of his shtick, but I, I think all of his stuff has a lot of thought put into it. And I, I, like I still like the, uh, the the sentiment. So in that mm-hmm. way, it could possibly be Banksy. I'm going to guess, no, Miles just got someone to build something out of glass and made it look like a Banksy because he's seen that image before. There's, there's actually, and the, here's my drama teacher thing coming out, Um, uh, the play Red um, is actually about Rothko. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, um, I, I don't know if it's, um, uh, uh, based on a true story or not, but it's, it's about Mark Rothko, um, being commissioned to paint some of his trademark color block images, uh, for the Four Seasons restaurant. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, you know, his assistant who's like, uh, making the frames and mixing the paints and doing all the miscellaneous, um, you know, the grunt work, who's Uh also like, why are are you designing work for the four seasons, which is like the the snootiest thing around? And yeah. eventually, like it, you know, they, they get into this conflict. They talk about the rise of pop art and stuff like that. Um, and then they uh, eventually he returns the money, and he's like, "You're right. This is not a place for my art." And I so what you're saying is like it was a similar thing, only in this case, Banksy says like, "This is not an appropriate place for my art." But instead, I'm going to just keep the money and give you something terrible because you yeah. don't know the difference. Look, I like, I like that idea. Yeah, it's like sabotage, and also he's not a doc designer, which kind of like goes back to like 
Miles mm-hmm. hiring the the illusionist to like to make his like puzzles and stuff. Like he just like knows people are famous, so he just like gets them to do other. But he doesn't care. It's like how artists are always mm-hmm. tagged and engineers too, where it'll be like, oh, you can do that, so you can do this, and, and yeah. like, and usually they just can't. But if you really don't know enough, they'll be like, fine, I'll do it if if you're paying. Like, but but you're it's going to be worse than if you had gotten someone good to do it. But you're not putting enough thought into it. You don't really know enough to actually do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Banksy would do that for the money, but he might do it to make it so that uh, this billionaire can't get picked up at his own house half the time. <laughs> I uh, I actually do quite like that idea. Yeah, okay. Head, head cannon accepted. Yeah. Um, so let's also the, talk um, about the score during this this minute. Uh, what do you think about I that? I just want to say, by the way, once I know, because you did mention the uh, the illusionist making the uh, the puzzle boxes. Um, so the, the line specifically I remember is, so was it, um, uh, my puzzle guy apprenticed r- with Ricky J. Yeah. Uh, I just really like that line because, um, uh, Ricky J, uh, one of the greatest illusionists who ever lived. Um, and, uh, if you j- just do a YouTube search, anybody listening to this for Ricky J and get ready to watch some, some of the most amazing playing card manipulation you've ever seen in your life. Um, he was the narrator of the brothers bloom, which was, um, Johnson's oh. second movie. Uh, because that movie is about a con which has the rhythms of a magic trick. Um, And he also taught Rachel Weisz how to do the close-up magic for that one scene. Um, And then he was supposed to play the groundskeeper uh, in uh, Knives Out, uh, but he died just before the um, uh, the movie started, so they got M.M. Walsh instead. And there's a, a picture of him up on the wall in the uh, uh, in the groundskeeper's cabin. Oh um, yeah. So I, I actually thought that was really neat that Johnson's like you know referencing this guy who's clearly very meaningful to him. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I often show my students magic because it's you know it's a form of theater and it's a great way to burn a couple minutes in class when you got a little spare time at the end. Uh, and they, Ricky J just fascinates them. Um, yeah. So tell you what, tell you what, this is the one to look for. It's just called, I just Googled it just so I could give the title Ricky J amazing card tricks slash manipulation. You will freak your being. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, that being said, he is not a guy who designs puzzle boxes. So you are exactly right. <laughs> Well, I can't take credit for that. The guest on the first chunk of minutes I was hosting <laughs> pointed that out. But but yeah, I mean, it kind of follows with this this kind of idea um, of of misusing and like not appreciating things or not understanding the meaning of what's mm-hmm. happening. But we're supposed to highlight the score one of these minutes. I wanted to highlight the score. Uh, I got to be honest, I don't like care about the score of this movie that much <laughs> and uh, i mm-hmm. when i had to pay attention to it for this podcast i thought it was a little bit overdone and to me it most sounded like the establishing shots in the austin powers films when they're going to dr evil's lair and that's oh all i really God. have to say about it, it. does <laughs> it's like duh, you know i don't know <laughs> i that didn't occur to me but you're right anytime they do an establishing shot it's 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 a dr evil sting <laughs> i i feel like i'm gonna hear lauren michael's impression <laughs> saying like so which what's going on you know or whatever but anyway <laughs> what, what do you think about the score <laughs> anything um i i i do I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's an actual criticism but um I do think it insists on itself a little bit. It's a little too proud of big flourishes. 
I, I think the Knives Out score was better, but I think the I think I think it was the uh, that Johnson, uh, which is to say Johnson the composer, not Johnson the director. Um, cousins, I believe, but don't quote me on that. It's one of those where, like, when Ryan Johnson starts making movies, he has to like get favors from his family and friends. But then when he gets famous, he still keeps hiring them because he likes them, which is great. That's how Noah Segan winds up in all of his movies. Um, <laughs> but I think that, like, I think the guy's very good because I love his, I love the score for Knives Out, and I love his work on um, uh, Poker Face, uh, which which has particularly good themes to it. Um, but I th- he's working the different styles. I think the reason this one is so big and sweeping and bombastic is because it's about Miles Braun and his story and how everything's got to be the biggest and the grandest and the most amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like it, but yeah, it is occasionally every so often you're just like, oh boy, you're really just kind of like <laughs> driving it home here, huh? <laughs> I mean... I- I'll say I don't think I would think anything about the score if I didn't have to. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but that's what I think about it when I have to. <laughs> um, what what okay, we talk let's... about when we talk about the score. Boat can't come to low tide in the morning, 6 a.m. at the earliest. Do they understand the situation? There is no other landing point, and Miles's dumbass Banksy dock was set to low tide height, and it isn't buoyant. It is a piece of shit. Oh, heck. Yeah, all right, all right. Um... I suggest you all retire to your rooms, lock the doors until 5.30, when we will convene here and walk together to the dock. I'll stay up all night with the body, make sure it's not tampered with it. So without giving any spoilers, mm-hmm. what do you think about the third Benoit mystery? What, what do you... What do you think about that? What's going to happen? So, you know, I asked this question a lot when we were doing Knives Out Minute because I, I hosted three wax of episodes there. Um, and, you know, my answer uh, has always been uh, the same, which is that I don't want to know. Like, I, I, I don't I, I trust Ryan Johnson for whatever he does, which is like, sure, there are dozens of actors I would love to see in one of these movies, but I am certain he's going to pick the right ones. Like, you know, just off the top of my head, like, you know, like Jack Quaid, I think could do really well in uh, this type of thing or um, uh, Paul F. Tompkins, you know, <laughs> um, mm. uh, or, uh, you know what? I'm just going to keep mentioning people that are on Star Trek Lower Decks. I think Tawny Newsome would be great in one of these. Um, I think, uh, you know, Gillian Vickman would be great. Um Actually, I was kind of joking when I started that, but now I just do kind of want the entire cast of Star Trek thrown into one of these. Um, uh, But that's more because I like what that casting director does. Um, And as a side note, if anybody listening to this was not aware that there is a Star Trek series on which Paul F. Tompkins plays the ship's counselor who is a bird, um, it's called Lower Decks. It's the comedy Star Trek show, and it's really good. Um, But uh, yeah, no, the, the one thing that I will just specifically say is that the thing that everybody keeps saying online which is that it should be a muppet thing uh they are wrong uh i don't like when people stick the muppets into uh something else that is not a muppet thing now that being said if disney decides to bring back the muppet show and daniel craig is the guest on an episode and they do a knives out type thing i think it would be great uh so that's my answer which is uh i don't know what i want for knives out three i trust whatever he does but what I would love to see is a Muppets revival, and I think Daniel Craig would get along great with them. Okay, yeah, I think uh, I, I think knowing what's going to happen would make it the most fun, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and not being really the same as this one or the same mm-hmm. as the last one, which I think this one was already very different from the last one, but not 
not in the opposite way, just kind of in like a parallel, like a, you know, lateral steps. Mm-hmm. So I, I always think that's good. Yeah. I agree. Uh, have you been watching uh, Poker Face? No. It's, I don't it's, even know what that is. <laughs> oh, well, well, then allow me to uh, uh, excite you. Um, it's Ryan Johnson's mystery TV show. Uh, it's Uh-oh. on it's on the streaming service Peacock, um, which is uh, Universal's uh, streaming service, and it is uh, Natasha Leone uh, mm-hmm. as um, somebody who's living off the grid because she's on the run from the mob. Uh, and you know, gosh and darn, wouldn't you know it? The people she runs into just keep on getting murdered. Um, and she's got this little quirk of her brain where she can automatically tell if somebody is lying. Now she can't tell what the truth is, but she can tell when she's hearing a lie. Uh, and so she gets into that and um, it's, if you like glass on you, if you like knives out, um, it's a really great thing because every single episode is you got Natasha Leone, who's great and is beloved by uh, all. Um, and then every episode has these like amazing guest stars. You know, you got Ron Perlman showing up, you got Hong Chow, you got, um, um, uh, who is that? Chloe Sevigny was like the the uh, leader of like this like um, hair metal band uh, that was trying for a comeback. And so it's all the, you don't think about these people um, uh, being, a, you know, there's a recurring FBI agent character, but he's played by Simon Helberg from the Big Bang Theory. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, there, there's one where it's uh, two uh, washed up uh, TV stars that hate each other. And so you're sitting there thinking, which one's going to die? Which one's going to die? It's Ellen Barkin and Tim Meadows. And so it's like it's all it's it's great actors and great casting, and you just never know. Forget uh, Nick Nolte shows up in one of them, you know, Luis Guzman, uh, and of course because it's Ryan Johnson thing, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's eventually going to be in it, yeah. uh, and he's playing a real Miles Braun type rich douchebag. Um, and so yeah, yeah, Poker Face, like I'd say, like if if you need a fix of this type of thing, uh, Johnson wrote. Um, Hold on, let me just check. Uh, I know he directed the first and last episode. He's, uh, and he, yeah, he, okay. He wrote the first and last episode. He directed the first and ninth episode. Um, but he's the executive producer of the whole series. So it's, it's very much his thing. Uh, and it's great. Um, and Ron Perlman was the big villain for season one. And Rhea Perlman's going to be the big bad guy for season two. So. Nice. No, no relation. Very different people. That's true, yeah. Um, okay, so Benoit's gonna lock all the doors, telling everyone to go to their rooms. That's the plan, and he's gonna stay up with the body. So that's mm-hmm. the end of this minute. What's what's your what's your plugs? Well, I'm gonna go back to Tinseltown, the holiday movie podcast, uh, where we review every Christmas, Thanksgiving, and otherwise midwinter holiday movie uh, to officially establish the new holiday canon. Um, and, uh, yeah. Oh, so what I did was, uh, just to give like a little sort of a teaser to the audience, except my phone suddenly decided to stop working. Uh, I actually called up the new holiday candidates that currently exists and don't worry, I'm not going to kill our time by walking you through, um, all 25 of them that we have right now. Uh, but yeah, just a few ones to, uh, uh, spark a little, uh, interest in your mind. If you want to feel like checking these out. Uh, Rare Exports, which we already talked about, the Finnish horror movie. Uh, Die Hard, which is a Christmas movie, no matter how much tedious people insist otherwise. And by the way, don't think you're getting off the hook. People who think they're clever for noticing that it's a Christmas movie, you're also tedious. Uh, 
Um, Joy and Noel, an extremely heartbreaking movie about the English uh, or the Scottish. Apologies to the Scottish. Uh, the Scottish, French, and German forces that just decided to stop fighting uh, at Christmas. Um, uh, you know, listen, The Nightmare Before Christmas, what can we say? We love it. Also, some uh, some less expected ones. Uh, Harold and Kumar's 3D Christmas is a really good movie. And I think most people wouldn't expect that. Likewise, Santa's Slay, a movie where Santa is revealed to be a demon who was imprisoned to do good deeds for a thousand years. And this is the first year he's free to go out and murder people. And he's played by the professional wrestler Bill Goldberg. <laughs> that movie sounds terrible. But boy, it knows exactly what it's doing. Um, and just to give you an idea of the kind of uh, you know research we do on the show... Um, I found this out uh, when I was recording that episode. There's a scene where Santa is um, going around a strip club murdering people, uh, including a local priest played by SCTV's Dave Thomas. And at one point, he jumps up onto like a swing and he's got his face right in the crotch of the stripper who's sitting on the swing. Uh, and um, that's where the big stunt is. And it was a stunt performer who was sitting on the swing um, because, you know, it's a stunt. Uh, and he was talking about how nervous he was when he was getting into it. And um, he was talking to the woman on the swing and he was like, you know, I'm feeling really nervous because I'm like the big tough guy wrestler. Um, and but I'm really scared about this one stunt. And she was like, well, hey, listen, I've got your face in my crotch. So like, you know, this and that's how Bill Goldberg met his wife. Oh, uh, she was she was the other stunt performer in that scene. And I'm like, boy, you know, you can never tell where love's going to blossom. <laughs> so. That's Tinseltown. Uh, if you enjoy uh, holidays and good times and friends and trivia, uh, what a show for you it is. Excellent. And you can check out the Twitter for this podcast, Glass Onion Men. That's all one word. That's it. Goodbye. We'll see you good tomorrow. Goodbye. On Thursday. Which yes. is tomorrow, which is today is Wednesday, and tomorrow will be Thursday, and so... We're actually recording these live as you hear them. Yeah, so that's true, so that will definitely happen. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>